Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And the climate in Germany made it imperative to put up, as my grandmother might say, um, food for the winter. And so you'll get a lot of pickling and vinegars and uh, things like that. E pluribus unum. Sometimes we lost the pluribus and how to keep that balance. I'm Elaine Cha. When the first wave of German immigrants came to Missouri in the early 19th century, our state was a very different place from what we know now. Their arrival changed their new home in ways we see, feel, and yes, taste throughout Missouri today. In 2019, a book titled Explore Missouri's German Heritage lay out the who's, where's, and what's of German cultural heritage in our state. It also inspired a documentary film of the same name that's screening exclusively at the John B. Bush Brewery Event Center in Washington, Missouri on February 23rd. And today we have the author of that book and retired academic coordinator for the Museum of Art and Archaeology at the University of Missouri, W. Arthur Merhoff. Welcome. Thank you very much, Elaine, for having me. Now, let's begin with the first wave of German immigrants who came to Missouri in the mid-1830s. With their arrival and within just a few years, I understand that the German population in St. Louis increased exponentially. Arthur, why did they leave Germany and how did they end up settling in Missouri? Immigration historians talk about push-pull factors that people in what we now call Germany, but at that particular time, the early 19th century, were a collection of duchies, municipalities, sometimes free cities, and they were being pushed out by rapid industrialization. A fellow named Karl Marx from Germany Mm -hmm. wrote about that extensively. And also there were pull factors. There were were the opportunities available um, to emigrate to what they considered a a new land, and there was also a lot of uh, I would call viral um, newsmaking about what's available in the far west, as Missouri was called. So those push-pull factors together created a powerful dynamic um, feeding the immigration of these German city-states. And can you talk about who was responsible for that viral moment in the 1830s? Well, that's kind of an anachronism, I guess, but um, there was a wonderful series of letters by a uh, a German um, jurist uh, jurist lawyer, if you will, um, Gottfried Duden, who, like Alexis de Tocqueville in France, came to study this new world, this uh, American Republic, and trying to understand the future, if you will. And so uh, Duden lived in... uh, sort of the western edge of uh, the St. Louis metropolitan area today and uh, actually hired out a lot of the farm work um, to a German 
farmer. And so many people feel that kind of colored his view that if you're not doing all the heavy lifting, then it might look better than it really was. But his letters, which were well written and uh, you know very congenial, if you will, um, attracted uh, a very receptive audience who, who wanted to believe in the possibility of a new uh, Germany or an, uh, some of the revolutionary ideals of Germany that were coming forward at that time. And here might be a place to uh, uh, give them place. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, that that helps to explain the desire to believe is sometimes stronger than the facts themselves. Sure. Now, Duden, you said, hired uh, German immigrants to take care of his land. So as far as the way St. Louis looked at that time, how did it look? And what about rural Missouri? That's an important point, I think, and one that we really explored a lot in uh, Missouri Humanities German Heritage Initiative. It's important to remember that many of what we call the German communities um, outside of St. Louis were extremely rural and remained extremely rural really until after the Second World War. So um, relative isolation there, I think, helped them keep their, you know, whether it's from Westphalia or Swiss or um, it's a town called uh, Vienne, like Vienna, Swiss, mm -hmm. etc., Westphalia. So these little communities or these little um, provinces, if you will, were able to kind of recreate village life very often outside of the metropolitan or St. Louis area, the urban area. Uh, the urban area certainly reflects a lot of German influence, but uh, there were also a lot of factors, you know, if you will, rubbing against that and uh, making make it difficult to sort of maintain one's um, strict cultural identity. Mm -hmm. And how was it that German immigrants were received by those who were living in Missouri at that time? Uh, just as the character of these um, immigrants and these immigrant uh, settlements varied widely based upon their places of origin, they also varied widely across uh, Missouri. Um, many examples certainly of people getting along uh, famously, but um, as we'll see especially later that the strong anti-abolition, anti um, anti-slavery settlement characteristic of most German um, immigrants certainly came to play in a slave state uh, like Missouri. Mm -hmm. And that's a, an interesting point. I'd like you to talk about a little bit more um, you know, the, the times when Germans did arrive sort of in large numbers and what was going on geopolitically certainly, you know, seems to have had an effect. Now, when uh, German immigrants did arrive here in Missouri, when it was operating as a slave state, what influence, if any, did German immigrants have at that time and during the, the Civil War? German love for what 
they called uh, Freiheit, or freedom, was very, very strong. I mean, it was sort of an animating, almost a revolutionary uh, force. In some, some ways, historians look at the revolutionary spirit of the American independence movement as taking root in Europe, and especially in Germany. There were failed, you can call them revolutionary efforts or reform efforts, um, a major one in 1848, but you know, back in the 1830s as well. So um, Germany, be Germany began consolidating, power began consolidating, industrialization was taking place. And so uh, a lot of people who in, lived in what's now called Germany thought it might be better to start over and to kind of recreate their traditional ways of life in, you know, in the New World, in the far west of Missouri. So they brought that powerful um, sense of independence, revolutionary spirit, and certainly many of them played large roles in the upcoming uh, conflict, you know, the war between the states, or civil war. Mm -hmm. And a lot of abolitionist uh, newspapers were written in German. Uh, Professor Steve Rowan um, of the University of Missouri, St. Louis, has written extensively and you know excellently about that time period. People would like to learn more and in depth about you know the courage um, it took to uh, publish an abolitionist newspaper um, in Missouri at that time. And is that part of history something that is not very well known among? Um, among people here in the state? Well, <laughs> probably more so here than elsewhere, but the, one of the essays in Explore Missouri's German Heritage is called The Incident at Camp Jackson. And the idea is that some of the big events of Missouri in the Civil War lie just underfoot, but buried in memory or perhaps in lack of memory, underneath layers and layers of subsequent development. So uh, there's a lot that's just beneath our feet if we would care to look. And so yeah, I think it's incumbent upon us to, uh, to explore our heritage and get a better sense of where we came from. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what does remain and what is visible, how did German immigrants over time change the land or the landscape of Missouri and St. Louis? I believe that, um, and I use the term German advisedly, but for lack of <laughs> a better organizing principle, they shaped the land in important ways. The German concept of Landschaft, or shaping the land, um, was very important, and you'll see it in places like the old Munichburg neighborhood in Jefferson City, uh, which started out as a separate German settlement, eventually was absorbed. Uh, in, uh, in Old Munichburg, um, they would have alley houses. The houses were built in such a way to reinforce community. And uh, you know, today we think of big lawns, etc. But uh, you know, that was not the style. Trying to reinforce community in Herman, Missouri, especially, was shaped to create this, well, basically at New Philadelphia, a lot of people were coming from 
you know, the early German settlements uh, from um, Philadelphia, but you'll see it in little towns like uh, Westphalia, Missouri, which you know is, is like a picture picture postcard for a lot of people of mm-hmm. you know a traditional German village. So you can still see it in the landscape, and you know if one's willing to look, it shows up in a place like St. Louis's own Missouri Botanical Garden. There's a statue there of uh, Dr. Georg Engelmann or George Engelmann, whose efforts, you know, helped Henry Shaw establish not just a pleasure garden like uh, Tower Grove Park, but a world-class botanical garden, you know, research center. And his influence is still uh, powerful today. We're talking today with W. Arthur Merhoff, retired academic coordinator for the Museum of Art and Archaeology at the University of Missouri and author of Explore Missouri's German Heritage. A documentary film based on his book will be screened on February 23rd at the John B. Bush Brewery in Washington, Missouri. You can find more information and a link to buy tickets at our webpage, stlonair.show. Arthur, one of the other things that we had uh, we had noted at the top had to do with the way German immigrants um, changed the way that we eat. So what is it that has come to us and that remains of uh, of German immigrant influence on the cuisine of of Missouri? We tend to think of German cuisine as starchy sausage. Uh, meat, potatoes, etc., and, and a glass of beer. Well, the beer definitely uh, <laughs> factors in, but we we sometimes forget that Germany today is incredibly uh, diverse in its geography, and you know it's as big as Montana, and so there are all sorts of uh, different recipes. I mean, um, there's a wonderful cookbook, the German cookbook by New York Times. Um, former food writer Mimi Sheraton, and if you know, if you want a really big cookbook, that would be the one to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, German heritage, but the best place I think to really get at foodways, besides the various festivals and uh, church dinners that take place throughout the area, uh, is at Deutschheim State Historic Site to look at the restored archaeological site of a gemüse garden, a kitchen garden, that was, if you will, dug up from from the ruins, discovered and uh, recreated, restored, and is now a very active display, very much a living museum display that depicts the kinds of foods that uh, they grew. one thing I guess it's fair to say is that um, in the climate in Germany made it imperative to put up, as my grandmother might say, um, food for the winter. And so you'll get a lot of pickling and vinegars and uh, things like that. And also I think uh, besides the beer and the wine, which um, this is a country that still operates, um, makes beer based on beer laws, purity laws that go back to the early part of the 16th century. So 
there's, there's a, a long-standing tradition there. Right. Um, <laughs> so when we raise a glass, that is something that we are enjoying part of. You're, no, you're part of a tradition there. Mm-hmm. No, I, I understand that your family comes from German heritage. Um, as you were researching, Arthur, the history of German settlers in Missouri, um, did that place your own family's history in a new light? And if so, in what way? In fact, I use that phrase, more light. I borrowed it from uh, um, the dying Johann Goethe, um, who supposedly said on his deathbed, more light, uh, this symbol of the, the Enlightenment. He could have simply meant, please draw the curtains, or, but it's really uh, uh, become a symbol for trying to illuminate our our heritage to find our connections. Um, Germans talk about Bildung, B-I-L-D-U-N-G, mm-hmm. and that's life formation. It's it's more than just education. It's how you become the person you are through your experiences, certainly upon reflection. And what I think uh, working on this publication did for me was it shed much more light on all the many little things that I took for granted for so long mm-hmm. and now see, you know, it's, it's rich. I mean, sometimes it can be almost overwhelming. And I use the image or a metaphor of ice vine. Um, it's a late harvest German wine. Um, it's kind of risky in a sense that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you don't get it right and you can lose your your grapes but um, after these frosts you know, the grapes are picked and they're very concentrated very you know it has just an incredible essence to it and I try to think of these artifacts now as an ice vine as saved from well, if not frost uh, a lot of things have been lost over the years and so trying to capture that essence and bottle it so that other people can hold the glass up to the light and savor them with you. And I think that's the best way to uh, think about one's own heritage. Um, you know, e pluribus unum, sometimes we lost the pluribus and how to keep that balance, which is the challenge for every good vintner, every winemaker, keeping the balance not too sweet, not too bitter. That's really, I think, how we try to approach, explore Missouri's German heritage. Um, I call myself the Arthur of the publication rather than the author because it was such a collaborative effort with many people, very different than other books that I've written. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I really want to give credit where credit is due. And uh, it's not the last word on Missouri's German heritage. It's a prologue. It's like the old uh, guidebooks of Bedecker, you know, and hopefully get people to gay und in Vorschell to go out and explore and do their own interpretations. Mm-hmm. Well, that is certainly in the spirit of our, our show as far as community coming together and sort of continuing with um, stories that we are we're writing um, as a community and collectively. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us today. Lane, thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be here.
W. Arthur Merhoff is author with a community of people of Explore Missouri's German heritage and retired academic coordinator for the Museum of Art and Archaeology at the University of Missouri. An exclusive showing of Explore Missouri's German heritage based on the book of the same name happens on February 23rd at the John B. Bush Brewery in Washington, Missouri. You can find more information and a link to buy tickets at our webpage, stlonair.show. This episode was produced, engineered, and edited by Emily Woodbury. Podcast designed by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.